it was an intentional relationship. So I knew we were getting married, but I did not know that he was going to propose. Then I was, I was like, oh, wow, this is happening. More on this in this episode of Stationed with Stories. Stationed with Stories. That's it. All right, you are listening to Station with Stories. I'm your host, Kalisha Hollis-Jesse. And before we get started, let me just tell y'all that these are my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts, and they do not represent or reflect the positions, opinions, or views of the U.S. Armed Forces in any way. All right, now that we got that out of the way, hi, peeps. So excited for this episode, y'all. So let's just go get into it. I'm going to start with the book that I just finished, y'all. I read Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson this past week. It came out actually this year, 2022. So it is hot. Let me tell y'all, I go to the libraries a lot of times, either physically or I use my library apps to get books because I'm I'm one of the people, I don't have to buy the book, okay? I read a lot of books. I don't have to buy them. If I love them, love them, then I'll buy them. But Otherwise, you know, just moving around so much and having so many books, it can, it can just be a lot sometimes. So I went to the library to figure out whether they had this book. Y'all, it was on a hold for weeks. And I have two library cards, two different libraries, and they, neither one of them had it. So I waited for a while. I'm like, okay, you know, this is some weeks ago. I borrowed them or, you know, requested them from the library And finally it came and I was in the middle of reading another book. So I didn't end up reading it within that time. And I think they only gave me maybe 14 days or seven days. I can't remember because it's a hot book, right? It just came out. Everybody's reading it. It is, I think already a New York Times bestselling book. Okay. So this book just, (laughs) just did not want to be my possession via the library. So I went ahead and downloaded it to my Kindle app, went ahead and bought it because I wanted to read it for you all. And let me just tell you, Charmaine Wilkerson, she has many short stories. She's a former journalist. She has a lot of material out there. This is her first novel. And I have an unpopular opinion. And this is the first time I'm doing this on this podcast. But I have an unpopular opinion. I think I went into reading this book with high hopes. I even read this book in my little family. If you all remember, for those who've been with me, you know, my sister, my mom, we read together. I chose this book for our small reading group, our little book club. Okay. Reading Rainbow. That's what we call our book club, y'all. Reading Rainbow. And I chose this book and I was like, let me go ahead and read it. I'm gonna give you my three words. I I think I, I looked forward to it so much and it just did not reach where I expected it to. I'll say more about that. My three words, choppy, unfocused, revelatory. Okay. Choppy. I would say, so one of the things, and this is very common right now in novels and literature in this last decade or so, a lot of authors are using multiple points of view. So many narrators, this is no different. She has several narrators. And it's interesting because it's not just her moving between different narrators, but some of the chapters have an omniscient narrator on top of that. And it's moving between place and time. So you're moving between decades, you're moving between narrators, you're moving between 
an omniscient narrator that's not one of the characters in the book. So it, it became a little choppy for me. And the other piece is that it is sometimes very choppy because the actual chapters are short. The chapters, and on average, the chapters are quite short. And so some of the chapters you'll have maybe just two pages of that chapter, and then it moves to another perspective, another character's perspective, or another time period. And it just got kind of choppy for me. And it wasn't necessarily hard to follow, but it was hard to get invested in the characters. And that was the biggest thing for me. I really enjoy character-driven novels. That's just me. I can go for a plot. If it's a whole bunch going on, I'll go with you and do all these things with the characters. But I really want to connect with the narrator or even the narrators. And this was just a book where I couldn't really connect with any of the characters on a deep level. And there is a primary character here. But like I said, there's so many people's stories and the stories are kind of shared in snippets and they move really fast between time and place. And it just got choppy for me. Unfocused goes into that. That's my second word, unfocused. I think she would have gotten so much more accomplished in this book in terms of like emotional pool had she focused a little bit more on what she was trying to have the reader walk away with. And and this is not one of my words, but I think the book was a little over ambitious. She's doing great things here. And like I said, I had high hopes for this book. When I started reading it, I was like, hmm, I don't know what the what the hoopla is. And then when I got maybe a third of the way through, I was like, oh, this is good. And she she got me. And then by the time we got to three fourths of the way or even two thirds, I was just thinking, yeah, we're we're going into so many different themes here where it just feels unfocused. And she's dealing with some great themes. There is major themes on the topic of immigration, of family history, of really trials. There's a lot of trials that one of the characters goes through and they all go through their own trials, but they're going through different trials that have a lot to do with race, with country of origin. It's really good. And then you have a character who's going through rejection from family. There's some lots of rejection in this too. And then breaking barriers, staying really clear on your own focus, even when it means that you are not being accepted by a group. All of these things are happening in the book, but it just became unfocused. And I just think that maybe if she would have narrowed it down or trying to drill down into the lives of certain characters a little bit more and then tried not to touch so many themes, it would have felt more focused and there would have been more of a relationship with the couple of characters that she wanted to focus on. So that was that was me. It just got unfocused and I was like, it's it's just a little overambitious. She's reaching to a lot of things. And so I never felt like I can I never felt like I connected deeply with any of the characters. It was kind of like Jack of all trades, like the Jack of all trades, master of none experience. Like I said, I really was following her for a minute. And then I was like, we don't have to tie up all of these loose ends. And and even at the end, it just felt like she was tying up a lot of storylines. And I was like, we just we didn't need all these storylines. I was mostly invested in, in learning about these couple of characters. And I feel like they didn't get as much space on the page as they could have because we were focusing on a lot of secondary characters. So that was 
my thought. Revelatory, though. Here we go. And I think it's because I'm an optimist and I always want to end something on a good note, a high note. So it was revelatory for me because some of the things that she did focus, the things that she did focus on were important, are important. So one of the things that you find out from the very beginning is that the the place that they are is never named, like the island that this family is from is never named, but it's a, it's a Caribbean island. And she talks about the experience of Chinese immigrants on this, you know, unnamed island, but it does go into some real history of Chinese immigrants in Jamaica, for example, and in other Caribbean islands. But she she talks about that at the very end in her postword or her, you know, synopsis of the book and just her research experience, really. So at the end of the book, she has like that little chapter. And I love that. I love when authors do that. They give you a little postscript and they talk about the research that they did for the book, or they talk about some of the experiences they had that led them to write the book. I enjoy that kind of thing. So she talks about that. She does a lot of research for this book. So it is revelatory, for at least for me, someone who did not grow up in the Caribbean to learn about these race relations there and economically how the islands developed and how there was a lot of post-colonial stress and trauma and hierarchy in the lives of all the citizens. So I enjoyed that. That was revelatory. Some of the experiences of these main characters going off into London. That was great. And, and learning about their experiences is fictional. Now this is a novel, it's fictional, but she did a lot of research about some of those experiences that they would have had at these in between these decades, right? In the UK. So that was revelatory for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed some of the hobbies of the characters. I think the characters had very non-stereotypical hobbies. And I think that's important for people to read. There's a big world. And if you do not know that these mixed race Caribbean people can also be associated with these types of careers and these passions, then here you are, right? This is a story for you. It's revelatory in that way. And I appreciate it for not being stereotypical. Really good. I enjoyed that piece of the of the novel. And I wished, right, hope for a little bit more in terms of connection and focus. But in any case, it is a hot book. And if you disagree, write me, let me know how you're thinking about this, because I'll be posting on Twitter and I'll be posting on the other other places where I post, right, Instagram and all of that about this particular episode. And so I would love to hear what other people are thinking. But I have an unpopular opinion, right? It's a New York Times bestseller. If you love it, you know, (laughs) I'm glad that you enjoyed the book. And of course, it's current. So check it out if you so choose. All right. Well, moving on to the topic of the day. Y'all, wedding bells ring real quick in the military. They ring quick, quick. So this past week, I celebrated two years of marriage with my husband. Really exciting. We actually did think he was going to be home, right? Life of a military spouse. You really don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. And so originally he was supposed to be away. He was supposed to be deployed. And uh, look at God. He was home. 
And we were able to celebrate together, although we've been celebrating honestly since May because we're like, well, you won't be here. So any major thing that we do, we turned it into a celebration of our marriage. Anyway, I was just thinking, you know, celebrating an anniversary, two year anniversary and also seeing this post online and Facebook in one of the spouse's groups, one of the moderators, administrators asked about people's dating to marriage experience. You know, just a quick post like, tell us how long it took for you to, you know, go from dating to engaged to married, right? Dating, engaged and married. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, what's my, what's my story? My story <laughs> is very much a typical male spouse experience, y'all. So Darius and I, we met in 2011. We were both in college. I was an exchange student at the sister college that he was at. So this is spring 2011. There we go. Spring 2011, we met. Fast forward, we we never saw each other again after that semester until we reconnected online. So we still hadn't seen each other in years, but we reconnected online in 2019. And keep in mind, you know, with social media, you see people, you, you know, you meet them, you basically say hi to anybody on the street and then you become friends on Facebook or you follow them on Snapchat or Twitter or whatever, right? So that's what happened. We would connect. We did connect over those years as friends because we were friends. Okay. So we connected. We would, we would message each other, you know, hey, what's up? Happy belated birthday or whatever. We did have this email chain going for a little while when he was first commissioned. And, you know, as friends, we would share different things happening in our lives. And that kind of fizzled out back in like 2013 or whatever, right? 2019, we reconnect on Instagram, messages fly back and forth. And then he's like, hey, I, we should see each other. So he comes out. This is the top of 2020, January. I see him for the first time in what, nine years. Okay. So at that point, we're like, huh, wonder what this is going to be. Fast forward, we started dating at the end of that month. So January, 2020. Yes, the pandemic is about to really explode. So we start dating. It was January 26th. We remember that clearly because that was the same day that Kobe Bryant died very tragically. But we we did start dating. I was in Boston area. He was in DC. We got engaged on June 8th, 2020. And we got married July 2020. Yeah, wild wildness, wildness. And so it was quick. It was real, real quick. And since I've been in the military, y'all, it's funny because I've heard people say more or less the same stories. There are people who date for a little while. Now, some of us who have been with the person we were with like in high school, I've heard high school stories, I've heard college stories, and they got married after graduating, right? But y'all, I've also heard of this whole double proxy wedding. And I had never heard of this before. <laughs> One of my husband's shipmates told me about this double proxy. Apparently in the state of Montana, I think it's Montana, you can have two people stand for you to get married for you if you can't. And that's very, very helpful for people who are in the military, especially when like both of them are in the military. Y'all, I've heard all kinds of stuff. Also, it's very common for y'all know some of us who had really small ceremonies because you just need to get married real quick <laughs> and then you save all that other good stuff of family and friends and large gatherings if you want that later because 
we don't have the time for that in the military sometimes. We just we just need to get married. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it was just reflection for me. Very fun to reflect on my story, getting married real quick. You know, when, when the things started rolling, when the ball started rolling, y'all, it rolled real quick. When I tell y'all he proposed and I was like, wow, okay. It was an intentional relationship. So I knew we were getting married, but I did not know that he was going to propose then. I was, I was like, oh, wow, this is happening. And when I got home to my family and he was like, yeah, let's get married next month. I was like, oh, oh, this is real, real, <laughs> real, real. And I promise you also on top of that was the pandemic, which I know impacted our timeline just because of how things were rolling and where he had to be and all of that. So anyway, y'all, you know, these military weddings, these military personnel, the wedding bells ring quick right quick quick so yeah anyway it is policies y'all know it Mil- military spouses know it 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 gets real expensive and and kind of silly when you have a serious serious relationship and you're not married and this person is being moved all across the globe and people have to get flights and tickets and you can't travel with them if they're abroad because you're not married to no, mm -mm, mm -mm, the military does not play that. So people were like, you know what? I would love to spend my life with you. There's no need for me to figure anything else out. Also, I don't have a lot of time to be figuring this thing out called dating in this stage of my career. So let's just get married. You know what? Let's just get married. It makes people make decisions quickly. Be decisive. Yes. Yes. I'm down for being decisive. And so, y'all, good decision for us. Great time. Great time just celebrating our two years. Anyway, moving on to the last topic of the day. Y'all, I have a flash fiction piece for you today called Bloom. I pray she doesn't feel abandoned like I was. Dead parents on Christmas Eve when I was seven foster family by New Year's Day. I fancied true family life, getting married, bearing children, loving them, staying forever. But I too am leaving the innocent behind. No, my daughter won't be an orphan entirely, but she's losing a parent all the same. I had hoped it would be much harder to leave. Wish I would have slept in fits and starts all last night. That I'd cried at the sight of her teddy bear as I packed secretly throughout the day. Wish I'd lost my appetite for dinner and confessed my intended sin right there with a whole family staring in disbelief. I wish I had been brave or a coward. I don't know which one it is anymore. Wish I would have done all those things, but I didn't. I walked right out of that two-story colonial with its porch swing and its bluegrass lawn and its three-car garage and didn't look back. I had a train to catch. I arrived to the station on time and had planned to dial the house phone from my Nokia flip phone. But the train was boarding by the time I arrived and it's not like I could talk to a 10-month-old anyway. Even if I could, what would I say? Could I tell the truth? Would I dare say, sweetheart, my precious Irene, 
I love you dearly, but I can't love you nearly enough. Not enough to stay. Not enough to parent with wisdom and joy. Not enough to keep those violent wishes of drunk driver accidents and lake vacation drownings or accidental poisoning at bay. Because though I love you, Irene, I do. I'm desperate to end this misery of being a mama. Now on this train ride to a new start, I wonder what she will become without me. Whether she'll ever know my name. Whether she'll grow into an athlete or study medicine. I can't be sure that she'll have my knack for arithmetic or share my love for the blues. But she'll bloom. I know she'll bloom. Maybe late because our time was marked by a legion of tears. Tears I cried after I pushed her out. Tears every time she nursed. Tears when she kept me awake. Tears when she fell asleep. And I tried to love her like the magazine-worthy mothers, but I can't. Irene will have gentle pruning from her father and de-weeding from her grandparents and the sunshine on her back to get her through every season of life and she'll bloom without me. All right, y'all, that is it for this episode. Of course, if you are listening to this, you are listening on a podcast app, if not on the website Leave it all the stars, y'all. Rate the podcast. Share it with people. Definitely let them know that we have a little thing going on every Monday here. And I am looking forward to hearing and reading your feedback. Of course, Instagram, Twitter, stationed underscore story. Tweet me. Respond to the post. You know, I would love to hear from you all. I always do enjoy getting feedback from you. And one other thing, y'all, I finally got my life together. And there are vlogs coming already. Last week, you have a vlog. Another one coming this week. I am planning to do a vlog every week of my life, particularly in Japan, but just this meal spouse in general life. I am sharing it with you all. So all the little quirky things, all the little fun experiences in Tokyo and the Tokyo area, I am taking you with me. So check it out. It is there, Station with Stories on YouTube. And definitely like, share, and follow the page there for all the good stuff when it comes out. Station with Stories, I'm your host, Kalisha Hollis-Jesse. Bye, peeps. <laughs>